Hello and welcome to the Chicken Nick podcast. Supported by the Idea Brews network, we are a bunch of curious individuals based out of the Northeast, and we strive to bring you the best of policy discussions through their intersection with things that affect your and our daily lives. If you like what we do, show your support by sharing our work. Don't forget to leave your comments on this episode in our social media handles. To our listeners tuning in, welcome to the second part of our third episode with Dr. Vinay Dutta. In case you missed the first part of this episode, you can check it out on Spotify and all major streaming platforms. I think I completely agree with you. Even today, I think we meet a lot of people in Assam who actually migrated from Silet and have then either moved to now Bangladesh or Assam. So I think those are also people whose lives were altered just because of one, you know, political decision. Uh, in in uh, irrespective of the fact that it was for such a long time debated in both uh, india in, i mean the then indian government with the indian government and the assam government but my second question with regards to our conversation before i hand it over to neel is with regards to going back to the aspect where you talked about the trade routes in this part of the region which existed post partition you talked about how uh, you know meghalaya for them the, the idea of south was very different but however post partition in a way in in i mean in a very subtle way we could say that they were forced to change their entire trade route so i think the idea of how economically we see this states today uh, be tripura or meghalaya or arunachal would have been very different if we had a trade route with from uh, you know from this part of the region to the ones that existed before like you said we would not have been landlocked in many regions so you know to draw from that and in fact i again this is, i mean i'm just uh, amazed by the kind of literature that you produce with regards to this region you you wrote a paper on the aspect of government's push for development through the actist now actist and policy right so tell us a bit about that because i mean uh, the government of course tries through the actist policy to reach those corridors through this chicken neck uh but then again this roots existed of course which is now non existent because of the political implications so tell us a bit about that and what you try to argue through that article no uh, that article of course was was i i spoke about it in the context of i was very critical about the actist policy of the government because uh, as i said that you know i i was one person who uh, thought that you know when it came to lookist uh, the lookist policy was framed in delhi uh which passed through northeast india but it was almost like uh, you know it was a flyover you know northeast was a flyover and if if you look into the quantum of trade uh, animesh you will find that less than 2% of the trade between india and southeast asia actually flow through northeast india so therefore in that sense northeast has not been a real direct beneficiary of either the lookist or the actist policy uh and the other point that i kind of argue is that when you start talking about uh, the lookist actist policy uh you will probably realize that uh, what has happened in the last 70 years is that we have fostered uh, or we have fostered i think that should be a better word we have fostered a lot of antagonisms and we suddenly expect people to forget about it yeah we have not opened up the borders because we don't we don't appreciate opening up our borders uh we are not very sure how many border huts we want to open uh and if you go if you have gone to the border huts you will probably find that except for a few local produce most of the times we only see chinese made products in the border huts yeah 
so in that sense how much uh, how much of that real push is coming in the lookist policy and how much stake do the northeast indians have in the lookist policy in real terms yeah it of course sounds that you know northeast shall be the the link between india and southeast asia i mean all this is fine i mean but i think it's important to move beyond rhetorics and and talk about real connectivity the second important thing is that there has been uh, a lot of social uh, you know uh, antagonisms that have also persisted over the years for example uh, you will probably appreciate that uh, you know the whole question of insider outsider in so far as northeast india continues to be a live issue yeah so however much we might actually talk about the look east i think unless you talk you look inwards you know whether you are in tune with the perception the sensibility of the people of the region i think all these policies will only be a flyover uh, you know which will link uh, india and southeast asia so i think in that context it's just not about you know establishing linkages you know uh, in in paper so therefore it's not about uh, you know having a treaty which says chittagong and mongla port will now be open to northeast india in real terms how much of that is open to northeast india is that is it basically the revival of the age old connectivity that was disrupted by partition you know the second thing is you know you're talking about rail linkages you're still not very sure how many rail linkages are actually going to be operational vis-a-vis india and bangladesh yeah bangladesh now and india and what is the what is the what is the apprehension of the people i know i stay in meghalaya for most of the year i know that uh, the 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 local dominant uh, students union is still opposed to the introduction of railways and the reason is that they are apprehensive of bangladesh bangladesh is coming into meghalaya now the, you know the people might end up saying that you know this fear is unfounded that is not true let us have protocols by which you can have protection of the of the indigenous communities but then the in in the long run uh, it also reflects that apprehensions remain so while you are trying to talk in terms of connectivity and these symbolical you know uh, train lines that pass through akhaura you know that's uh, linking up tripura with uh, bangladesh or you know <coughs> or or opening up the mongla port uh, the the chitagong port to uh, northeast india but in real terms is the northeast really uh, a participant in uh, the lookist policy that's one secondly what is the perception of the people of northeast towards uh, you know bangladesh for example uh, towards myanmar for example uh, towards the rohingyas for example i mean i i i invariably uh, would tell you towards the chakmas for example you know in there has been a lot of antagonism vis-a-vis the chakmas uh, in northeast india so are we are we actually ready for that kind of a social cultural and economic connectivity uh, even if we i mean keeping the political dynamics uh, the nationality question in 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 its own place uh, because every time we try and talk about social and cultural connectivity we feel that our nationality question will get tempered and so we are apprehensive yeah so invariably political nationality question uh, continues to hover on our minds when we are starting to talk about connectivity so in that sense how much i mean it's it's almost been a non starter uh, lookist no actist lookist policy was introduced at the beginning of the 20th 21st century 
Yeah, we are we are in the third decade of the 20, 21st century. How much of the Lukist activist policy have we been successfully implementing? Yeah, so that is the larger question. Uh, you know, throughout your con uh, throughout the conversation, you uh, especially when you talk about the uh, activist policy and how it has affected the uh, region and also our connections with the past, the connections that existed in the past. Uh, a lot of things that have happened in the past still hold an impact over the people. Uh, so in this regard, uh, with the instances that you've given, to what extent do you think that partition has, uh, the after effects or rather the aftermath of partition is still felt in the region? In terms of connections, in terms of like you've already illustrated in terms of trade, in terms of human connections and the lives of people. It continues to be there. Uh, see, Neil, uh, one of the things that you will probably appreciate uh, that uh, if you look at uh, a book called Enchanted Frontier by Nari Rustamji. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm almost, you know, one of the first trainings that I had as a lawyer was that in law, uh, when you are making an argument, every time you have to give a citation. So basically, you put out, pull out the SCC or you pull out the AIR and you say, my Lord, uh, this is you know, Supreme Court judgment page number so and so. So every time I go into a conversation on partition, I'm invariably going back to books. Uh, but kindly bear with me. So therefore, when you start looking at a book like uh, Enchanted Frontier by Nari Rustamji, uh, you will probably see how partition actually starts affecting our uh, you know, networks, our, our cultural connects our resource connects. For example, uh, uh, I have a student whose name is Sashi Tebor Lalu and uh, I have another student whose name is Faith uh, Elwin Kharbuli and these two students are actually working on partition and the Khasi Jaintiyas. Faith is working on a slightly larger understanding. She is also working on Tripura uh, and if you actually look into the their writings, uh, Sashi has a paper called uh, My Grandmother's Tales. Yeah. And if you if you look into they, these kind of writings, you talk about Nari Rustamji, you talk about L.S. Gasa, you talk about uh, L.S. Gasa has been my teacher and colleague. You talk about David Reed Siemle, whose whose uh, whose book on the edge of empire was brought out by Sage. You will probably appreciate that, uh, you know, what partition continues to affect our lives. I'll give you a small example. Uh, in 1947, uh, you know that boundary was demarcated. And when boundary was demarcated, uh, one of the first thing that happened was that the Khasi Jaintiyas lost their market. What was their market? Their market was basically Silhet. Yeah? And they were almost brought to the brink of starvation. And this is fairly well documented now, not only in my writings, it is also reflected in Nari Rustamji's book, The Enchanted Frontier. Let's, let me not be hubris and talk about my writings. I think the focus should be on better people. So let's talk about Nari Rustamji's writings. And Rustamji talks about it in his uh, sometime between page uh, 70 and page 78 uh, of his book. He talks about that and he says that, uh, you know, it's a very fascinating book. I think every student uh, of social science or law must read that book. Uh, you know, The Enchanted Frontier. And, uh, you know, Rustamji says that people were brought down to the brink of starvation. And as a result of that, uh, two things happened. One, that a lot of people were actually uh, uprooted from their homes. So uh, people who were on the borders, uh, now borders, because, uh, you know, this, this line that was demarcating their lives, demarcating their homes, 
demarcating their kins, kith and kin, uh, and making them into uh, oppositional uh, nationalities. So uh, some Khasis became Pakistanis, some Khasis became Indians. Similarly, some Bengalis became uh, Pakistanis, some Bengalis became Indians. So in that sense, uh, you know, various communities essentially came to uh, find themselves in oppositional terms. But what is very, very significant is that, you know, they lost their livelihood. And not only were the, you know, the minorities being uprooted from uh, what is called East Pakistan, you also find that a lot of these people who are now becoming border area residents, uh, indigenous communities who are living in now borders, remember that these lands were not borders. They were basically part of the networks that existed between the hills and the plains. But now these foothills were basically borders. So people who are now borders, border people, they essentially came to be uh, uprooted from their homes because they could not find enough, uh, you know, trade, enough, enough uh, sustenance to, to survive. And so therefore, you find that, <clears throat> you know, they were uprooted and they had to be resettled. A lot of Khasis from the from the south, uh, you know, south Khasi hills, from south Jaintia hills, they came to be resettled in the in the Reboy area. If you if you are traveling between Guwahati and Shillong, you will find that there is a there is a place called Umran, there is a place called Umsning. You know, these are areas. You know, just as you cross Barapani and move towards Nongpo, all these areas are basically settled by people who are uprooted from the border areas of the Khasi Jaintia Hills. So basically, uh, you know, these people were resettled. They had, they had tremendous hardship. Uh, they lost their prosperity. They had to sell their gold. They had to sell their land. Yeah. And that's not the only thing that happened. The other thing that happened was there was continuous, uh, you know, uh, violation of the border from Pakistan. And, and people were getting killed. So indigenous communities were getting killed because the Pakistanis were coming and uh, intruders were coming in and attacking the indigenous communities that lived in the border areas. And this is something that has not been documented at all. You know, so if you are starting to talk about partition, it's just not the story of what happened in 1947. I'm saying that partition is a story in Northeast India that started off much before 1947 and continues right till today. You know, 75 years, you know, since partition. We are still grappling with what is called partition. Uh, the second thing I don't know, uh, I've been talking for a long time. I, I think this is what happens when you get, uh, you know, somebody who, who uh, talks for a profession. You know, uh, we, we, are, we, are, we are invariably, uh, you know, paid to talk. So uh, in that sense, uh, you know, if you, if you get paid talkers to come and, uh, you know, be part of your podcast, you will invariably realize that we take most of time. But the other thing that I want to highlight is that in 1947, between 1948 and 1950, as the constitution was getting, uh, you know, uh, crystallized, I'm talking about India, mind you, not Pakistan, uh, because Pakistan constitution only gets crystallized by 1956-57. And that too, there are a lot of problems with it. But in India, uh, if you look into the debates of the constituent assembly, you find people like uh, Deva Prasad Barua. You find people like Dharanidhar Bosumatari. You find somebody like uh, Kulathar Soliha. You find somebody like Rohini Kumar Chaudhuri. You know, they are the people who are invariably trying to negotiate with 
citizenship and partition. And I think it's very, very important for us to actually go back to that debate. Because if you, if you, if you look into the debates in the Constituent Assembly, and this is something, again, which I have written about. Uh, you, 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 if, you, if you look at uh, you know, various writings that I've been doing right now, which, which engage with NRC and Citizenship Amendment Act, I have tried to point out that, you know, uh, firstly, uh, there is a very interesting piece, interesting in my perception. Huh? Uh, you all might not think it interesting at all. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, when you, when you write something, you, when you have a child, you think your child is the best looking guy around or the girl around. Uh, others might think that a complete, you know, marketplace is ekdam bakwas. But the other part of it is that, you know, uh, there are, you know, partition has been made a live story by the Supreme Court, courtesy the legacy data. And, and this is a problem. You know, we had, we had completely negotiated with partition. We, 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 we saw partition. We had citizens. We had non-citizens. We knew exactly who are foreigners, who are Indians. Suddenly in 2014, in December that year, a judgment comes in. And that judgment essentially decides that there shall be an NRC. And uh, that it's a very interesting judgment. Uh, law students would be very interested. I, I was very interested as a law student. In fact, I took a printout of all those judgments that were actually passed by the Supreme Court. I was very fascinated to know what, what uh, the, the, you know, their lordships were actually writing. And what they ended up doing was that they ended up mixing up apples and oranges and saying that, you know, henceforth, apples will be oranges and oranges will be apples. By saying that, you know, let us have an NRC and let's link it with the NRC 1951. And, and the point that I want to highlight here is that NRC 1951 was actually carried out under the Census Act 1948. And NRC 2016 is carried out under the Citizenship Act 1955. And there is no order or no judgment or no law which reconciles these two acts and which says that a Citizenship Act 1955 will be read along with the Census Act 1948. Yeah? So there's a legal question, which invariably is connected to partition. You know, partition invariably creates an unending conundrum, as I call it, you know, uh, in terms of law. And if you look into the debates of the Constituent Assembly, that the people who were then members of the Constituent Assembly, Rohini Chaudhary, Kulodhar Soliha, Dharanidhar Bosumatari, these were people, uh, D.P. Barua, you know, Devakanto Barua, D.K. Barua, these were people who were very much uh, conscious about the fact that Assam had also been partitioned. And Rohini Choudhury actually moves a resolution which says that, you know, I want citizenship for those people who were earlier part of Silet. You know, and uh, people who belong to Silet are displaced. They are not refugees, for God's sake. You know, then there is a fundamental difference between displaced and refugees. Refugees are people who come from somewhere else and settle in your land. And they are, dis they are displaced. But not all Displaced are refugees. You know, displaced is somebody who's from within your territory, but they have lost their home and they have come to settle in some other part of your, your their own state. So, uh, you know, people like Rohini Jodri were very, very categorical. They said, you know, we want citizenship for people who belong to Silet. So this unending, uh, you know, negotiation between uh, partition and post-colonial history is, is something that we are dealing with even now. Not just in terms of trade, not just in terms of terms of cultural connect, 
not just in terms of connectivity, but also in terms of belongingness. You know, because citizenship is the core unit that constitutes a nation state. Yeah? Because ultimately, who are the stakeholders in the state called India? Undoubtedly, the stakeholders are the citizens. Right from the time of Aristotle, if you look at politics of Aristotle to the constitution of India, you will probably find that every time you read Anupama Roy, Anupama Roy has written on, uh, you know, this concept of hyphenated citizenship. There is no provision for hyphenated citizenship in Indian constitution because we do not have dual citizenship. We do not have provincial citizenship at all. So everybody is an Indian citizen. So partition continues to affect our lives and we, we, we negotiate with it in our own ways. I have already exceeded my time by five minutes. Huh? So it's, I, I have all time in my hand. I am doing the talking. Talk shop is mine. No, no, that's, that's completely fine because uh, I think uh, for the three of us, it's been a very fascinating uh, and you know, fascinating learning curve on this unending phenomenon, as you call it. Especially because uh, what's been the most interesting part for me personally is because, because you've been tracing all these things through experiences of people, which are real-time experiences, right? And that has been a common theme throughout even your writings. And uh, even when you've been explaining things to us or our listeners, uh, the idea that you, you are giving us this imagery of people who've actually gone through these experiences, which you've traced so much in your writings. So when you write about these experiences, you know, you, you must have gone through a lot of work in tracing these perspectives and getting these experiences on board. Are there any interesting anecdotes throughout the process that, you know, uh, you could uh, tell our listeners and share with us as well? You know, um, anecdotes, yes, a lot of uh, stories of anxiety, uh, you know, if the entire NRC, uh, we already know, and it's fairly well documented, a lot of people have committed suicide. Yeah. And uh, you'll, you'll probably now see how, uh, you know, I, I can only tell you that uh, the first thing that, and, and the, I, I will not go far, I will just stick to myself. Because the moment I talk about somebody else in the context of NRC, the, the state might end up saying, Are, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, so let's go and find the other person that this Vinayak Datta is talking about. So let's talk about only Vinayak Datta because I think I'm a good enough specimen. So, uh, you know, the NRC started and somebody ended up saying, Are, what has happened to you? Do you know, uh, uh, you know, you, are, you, are, you, uh, are you in a position to claim legacy data? I said, oh, we'll try. Yeah. And by the time the NRC started, my father, and within one year of that process of NRC, my mother passed away. So uh, what do I do? I can't probably do planchet and bring them back. Yeah. So uh, I invariably had to make an application. Uh, and one of the most interesting things that happened is, and this is fairly well documented because Times of India carried, uh, you know, uh, a heading that NRC hits the undivided Assam roadblock. You know, if you go through uh, Times of India past issues, you'll find that uh, one of the things that the Times of India did flag was NRC hits the undivided Assam roadblock. That, you know, citizenship, we took our lives so much for granted, you know, within the territory of India, that we did not even think that about 70, 80 years down the line, you would be again, uh, you know, asked to prove that you are a citizen of India. Yeah. 
So in that sense, it's like almost the story of Sita in the Ramayana. How many times does Sita essentially give the Agni Pariksha? Yeah, uh, she she gives, she goes on, and a point comes where she invariably says that I'm going back, boss. You know, you you stay with whatever records you want to stay, whether I'm chased or I'm unchased, I'm leaving. So uh, I thought that uh, I wanted to go back to the state of Meghalaya because my parents, at least uh, part of my parents, uh, were staying in Shillong. So I tried to go back to the uh, to the documentation, and when I went back to the records, the government of Meghalaya told me, "Sorry, uh, you know, we only have records from 1970." Uh, and most of our records are from 1972, and uh, we uh, don't have records before 1970. Yeah, so that is the first thing that confronted me. The second thing that actually confronted me was that invariably people were uh, telling me that uh, yeah, we we do have uh, data, but uh, please remember that a large part of uh, Are you uh, are you there? Can you hear me, Neil? Yeah. So I said uh, that one part of it is that we only have data from 1970 onwards. The second part of it is that my experience was that they invariably ended up telling me, see, you want data which was earlier there in DC's office and which was there in the assembly. Uh, for your information, the DC's office was burned down in 1980s, and the assembly was also burned down in sometime in uh, late 1990s. so therefore all these data are lost so sorry we can't help you now this is my personal example i mean uh, finally what i did was uh, i actually uh, made an application to the state election commission and i said that can i have the electoral roll of uh, 1970 you say that you have the record of 1970 and in assam the cut off year is 1971 so if you have come to assam before 1971 then you are not an outsider i mean that's the claim that's the presumption so i said okay you show me the uh, the voters list of 1970 and thank god i can tell you that uh, thank god my grandmother and my eldest paternal uncle and my father their names were there in the voters list and my you know i was never so happy even with something which i had then to see my father's name in the 1970 voters list now this is imagine somebody at my level if i have to go through all of this imagine what the others must have gone through uh, and you know that people committed suicide people people essentially lost their homes people had to sell everything to prove that they are you know indian citizens and this is basically the gift of partition because it is partition which essentially created oppositional nationhood yeah india and pakistan india and bangladesh you know had there been no partition there would be no bangladeshi you know you probably if you go by the buranji you would probably have in assam the bongal but the bongal was not the bangladeshi according to the buranji yeah you know so in that sense the jointia buranji or the devdai ahom buranji or the kosari buranji when they were talking about the bongal they were not surely talking about the bangladeshi so invariably had it not been for partition there would be no pakistan there would be no bangladesh so in that sense this whole idea of oppositional nationhood would not have emerged had there been no partition and this in turn invariably not only disrupted our lives it continues to disrupt our lives now 
it continues to affect our lives and which as and that is why you still have thousands of cases in the foreigners tribunal you still have lots of cases in the guwahati high court you still have questions of citizenship subjudice in the supreme court before the constitution bench you know we nrc is, is still an unresolved question because the nrc is subject to the outcome of the judgment of the constitution bench which is, which is looking into section 6a a constitutional validity of section 6a so in that sense when you start talking about partition you know this is where history and law are essentially coming to you know it's almost like a wrestle between history and law indeed indeed and you've you've uh, amazingly traced this entire journey right from the beginning where we started off with uh, the the politics behind it to ultimately also looking into the legal pandora's box that the partition has opened up over the years the aftermath of which the courts are still dealing with because i think uh, there have been lot of uh, journeys that have been documented in terms of the experiences that people have had with foreigners tribunals and uh, other legal bodies over the years when it comes to uh, the nrc and citizenship last but not the least you know uh, what we have seen uh, over the entire course of this conversation is that there were certain turning points and certain de key decisions that were taken over the years which has led to the situation that exists today so uh, throughout your years of work you have observed this region you have uh, looked at it through this uh, lens of partition and other issues that you have dealt with in your writings what are the other predicaments for the people in this region for uh, connected to partition and the uh, and in the larger context of things for people living in the borderlands of northeast india see uh, i i will just you know it it's important to leave something which uh, which actually will generate a lot of fire yeah a lot of heat uh, you know one of the things that uh, at some point uh, in some ways uh, parts members of my family were also part of the assam movement but uh, you know what is very fascinating is that uh, when i actually went through the assam accord assam accord as you know was signed on the 15th of august 1985 and uh, if you if you look into the assam accord it is getting signed on the 15th of august 1985 the cut off date is 1971 yeah so till the 14th of august 1985 the people have no idea that there would be a 15 year hiatus between the date on which the accord is signed and the cut off year that is finally decided so one of the unresolved questions of the assam accord is what do you do with this backlog one of the most glaring examples of the conundrum is that everybody now in assam claims to have come to assam before 1971 so as if assam had nobody coming into assam between 1971 and 1985 have you ever thought about it i mean we we have landed ourselves into this you know paradise of farce you know everybody mind you 3 crore 30 lakh people were applicants before the nrc and 
only 19 lakh people were left out which means more than 3 crore at least 11 lakh people are now legitimate citizens of Assam and all have come to Assam before 1971. So only 19 lakh people came in between 1971 and 1985. And between 1985 and 2022, there is nobody who's come into Assam. I mean, this is a fantastic statistical jugglery that we are getting into. I mean, have we even applied our mind to what we were getting into? We all got into an exciting, you know, we were all enjoying. We were enjoying in 1985. We were enjoying when the NRC came out. And one day after the NRC came out, suddenly we realized that we don't need to enjoy. So we dumped the NRC. So, what? So nobody came to Assam after, I mean, at least only 19 lakh people came into Assam between 1971 and 1985, or worse still, only 19 lakhs of people came into Assam between 1971 and 2021. Yeah? Is that the position that we take right now? Gift of partition, you see. We started of talking about partition. Interesting anecdote, twists and turns. I don't want to talk about too many twists and too many turns. I just want to leave you with one turn. As students of social science, we are all stakeholders in Assam, we are all stakeholders in Northeast India. Have we applied our mind to that? Everybody now says that they have come before 1971. Nobody came into Assam after 1971, is it? And all the people who are in Assam after are now only children of those people who have come after 1971. I mean, before 1971. Have we even applied our mind? And then we say, you know, Indian legal system is a lawyer's paradise. I mean, we are in a paradise, yes. I mean, I can see the paradise. And I'm sure thousands of others like me, if, if, if a fool like me can see this paradise, I'm sure there are thousands of intelligent lawyers walking the corridors of the Guwahati High Court and walking the corridors of the Supreme Court. Can't they see the paradise? That, have, that we have all landed up in. And that is why it's a long partition and it's an unending conundrum. And you know, uh, thank you for explaining this entire unending conundrum uh, to us so beautifully. And I think uh, I, I would not be wrong to say that our listeners would also enjoy this uh, very informative take that we've had from you. And, uh, you know, the en ending question that you left us with, the question that we as stakeholders need to ponder upon was also a very, very interesting thing, uh, interesting afterthought, I would say, after the entire discussion that we had today. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Dutta, just for one thing more. Us. It was uh, such can I, Neil, just one thing that I'll leave you with. I think it's only in the fitness of things that we learn to have a vision for the future and not go back to the past and continuously dig the past because there is no end to digging. 
because one of the most difficult questions that we are now confronted with is, for example, who's an Assamese? And people have not only gone back to 1826, Manor Din, people have now started to say, let us go back to Bhaskara Varman of Kamrup. Yeah? And if we go back to Bhaskara Varman of Kamrup, everybody from Karatoya, which is in North Bengal, to Chiragong Hill Tracks, would everybody be, everybody will be a part of Assam. So I think we need to probably stop, you know, engaging, you know, retrospectively with history and look forward towards a better future with everybody. Be more inclusive. Be prospective rather than retrospective. And I think uh, that's a very, very good take to take away from the entire discussion that we've had. And we are also hopeful that uh, with the coming generations, we do take a step forward after the long years that you had. Thank you so much, Dr. Datta. And we really hope to have you with us for further episodes with amazing uh, and informative takes like the ones you've given us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to all the three of you. But it's very scary that you all have started reading whatever little rubbish that I produce. Now I'll have to be a little more careful. Thank you so much for being so indulgent. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Chicken Neck Podcast, check out our other episodes available across all major streaming platforms and help us grow by spreading the word. And for more updates, do follow us on our social media handles. 